You guys are welcome to be seated if you'd like. Um, you can put a pause button on those conversations and you're welcome to resume them after uh, the service ends today. Uh, welcome, so excited you're here today. My name is Joe Arendt and uh, you guys have, if you've been here at Voice, you've seen me leading worship, playing guitar. You probably think that's the gray-haired guy with the guitar, usually on Sunday morning. Um, but today I get the, uh, the great privilege of getting to speak to you guys about worship. So not just lead in worship, but also get to kind of share my heart, who I am. But then also, as we're in this series right now called Picture This, uh, to share a bit of vision for uh, where we believe the Lord is kind of leading our church in, sense of, in the sense of how we worship together. Uh, what do we believe that's going to look like as we step into this next season as a church? And I'm excited to get to share uh, some of that vision with you guys today. Um, I've been in worship ministry for a lot of years, and you might, you know, you see someone up on the stage, and you might think, well, how did they get there, right? Like, uh, what's point A to point B? You know, as with many things in life, it wasn't a straight line for me. You know, it wasn't just like, okay, you know, I, I heard a voice from heaven, you know, and God said, thou shalt be a worship leader, you know, or, or an angel descending and, and giving me a message. It didn't happen quite like that uh, for me. I started off playing guitar because I loved music, uh, mostly rock and roll. I grew up as the youngest of four kids with older brothers and, and a sister in the 80s, so I heard a lot of heavy metal, I heard a lot of punk rock, I heard a lot of new wave, alternative, just about everything, and I always just loved music. I wanted to be around music, I wanted to play. My mom tried to get me to take piano lessons for a few years, but I really wanted to play guitar. I'm sorry, Mom, I should have really applied myself. Because now I think, man, I wish I would have really become a great piano player. Um, so that's kind of the, where it all begins musically, but that's another conversation. But I, I really wanted to play guitar, and I think in my mind, I wanted to be a rock and roller. You know, that was my dream. My, I, I sort of came of age, you know, in the early 90s, uh, you guys who were around at that time, you might remember the, the Seattle grunge scene. That was sort of my, uh, the love that I had for music was developed there with Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Nirvana. I was, you know, I had the Kurt Cobain purple hair at one point, you know, all of that. Um, but back in junior high, I started playing guitar, and I really wanted to play guitar, but I didn't think of myself as a singer. But at the same time, I went to a Christian high school. And so if you go to a Christian high school and you play guitar, everyone kind of assumes that at some point you're going to become a worship leader. It's sort of like this inevitable thing, right? Um, so that wasn't really on my radar, but at my school, we had this um, uh, sort of like a 15-20 minute devotion, we called it every day, right? So uh, basically, you would have a, a short time of prayer, maybe a time where someone would teach from the Bible or, you know, kind of give a word from Scripture, or we would have a, a time of worship that we called it, right, where we would get out the guitar, somebody would sing some songs, and the whole class would kind of would, would sing together. So I had a friend, um, and she was involved in leading worship, and she was like, you know, hey, Joe, could you help me uh, lead worship today? I was kind of like, eh, I don't know, that's not really my thing, you know, but I guess, sure, I can try to help. I knew the chords to a couple of worship songs, but I didn't want to sing, you know. It's funny, because now I, I think of myself almost of more of a singer than anything else, but in those days, 
I didn't want to sing at all. I think I was embarrassed, as a lot of high schoolers are, to sing and have my friends hear my singing voice and all of that. So I made this deal with her. I said, I will play the songs on the guitar. You have to sing them, right? And she was like, well, I won't know like when to come in or what song you're playing. That's kind of hard. So I said, okay, all right, all right. I'm going to sing the song, but I'm not going to sing it toward the class. I'm going to sing it to you like she was sitting next to me. And I'm going to sing it in a really low, deep voice so no one can hear what I'm singing. Right? So I would start the song that way, and I'd look at her, and I'd go, you know, I'd start sermon on the guitar. Lord, I lift your name on high. You know. And then she'd come in. Lord, I love to sing a praise. You know, whatever. And it was this awkward thing of me singing at her and then her singing at everybody out there. That was my entrance into the world of leading worship, you know. Um, and there was twists and turns along the way, you know, but as with many journeys in life, now I look back and I see, man, God was working on me from the beginning, you know, and now I see what a privilege it is, what a blessing it is, what a joy it is to get up in front of God's people, the church, and get to lead them in a time of worship. Better than any rock concert, in my opinion, you know, as, as cool and as fun as that can be at times. Oh, man, such a privilege, such a blessing. When we look in the Bible, you know, we, we talk about this word a lot, and it's kind of a routine in the church, right, of we have a time of worship, you know, and then we have a time usually of announcements and then teaching, and then maybe we close in more worship. But what do we mean when we say worship? I want to just think about that for a minute with you guys. Worship, the, the English word we have, if you really, if you break it down into its two parts, right, it'd be worth ship. So worship is worth-ship, giving of worth to something, giving value to something. That's what worship is all about. If you look back in the, the Old Testament that we call it, the first part of the, the scriptures, uh, when, they, when it talks about worship, it often speaks of bowing down, being silent, being captivated, in the presence of God, being in awe of God. There's these, one, uh, there's these few sections in the Old Testament where prophets would have sort of a vision of who God was, and it just like kind of wrecked them personally. You know, they're like, what? You know, Isaiah says, woe is me. You know, he, he has this vision of God and his majesty in the temple, and he's just undone, he calls it, because he's in the presence of such great worth. He's in the presence of this great glory, this great majesty. That's what worship really means, that giving of value. It often speaks in the Old Testament of laying down our very lives uh, before that holiness, that majesty of God. But in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, um, the Apostle Paul, who wrote that book, gives us, I think, a really good sort of starting point to define what worship is. And I think we're going to put it up on the screen here. This is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> Paul says, and so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. That's kind of the starting point for me. And if you know the book of Romans, uh, for the first 11 chapters before Paul gets to this point, He's sort of laying out this amazing, what we call the plan of salvation, right? That God has redeemed us, that we were yet sinners, and yet Christ came to die for our sins. 
He rose from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life. He's brought us into this amazing new relationship with the eternal God of the universe. We don't have time to expound all of that today, but Paul says, so in response to all that God has done for you, as you look at this amazing plan, as you look at how God has rescued and redeemed us, he says, here's how we respond. Let your very self be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable, for this is truly the way to worship him. So that's kind of really where worship begins, not with singing on Sunday morning, as important as I believe that is, but the giving over of our lives unto the purposes and the plans of God. With that free will sacrifice of saying, God, you have done so much for me that I could never repay, and yet I want to give of myself to you. I want to lay down my life at your feet. That's the purest act of worship, I believe, that, that we could ever do. But a big part of that is also bringing praise to God. Bringing forth from our lips blessing unto the name of God. Thanking him for what he's done. We just spent time doing that this morning, right? Singing about how great he is. Singing forth the goodness and the majesty of God. That's the sacrifice of praise that we make when we gather together. I'm someone who's kind of interested in, in history. You know, I go back. I was just talking with Eric a little bit this morning about, you know, the early church and what their worship practices look like and all. And I like to kind of ponder those things. And I look throughout the scriptures and I see God's people have always been a singing people. You know, and I've often wondered about that. Why is it that singing has always been a part of who God's people are? You go back into, once again, the Old Testament I don't know if you guys know this, if you've ever studied, you know, the, the, the Jewish, um, you know, the nation of Israel when they set up their temple in Jerusalem, and you've maybe heard of like the sacrificial system and all of that today, they, they have the Western Wall there where Jewish people go to this day because that's where the temple used to stand, um, and they go and they pray in that area. During that time, they were singing. That David actually, during the time that, you know, sacrifice and offering was going on, he made great allotment for musicians and singers to also be a part of that. There was praise and blessing going up to God in every moment that the, uh, that the sacrificial system was in place. We, we fast forward to the New Testament and we see Jesus singing. You know that? Jesus sang with his disciples. We see that on the night before his crucifixion in the upper room when he, when he gave them communion, that, the, the last supper together. It says they sang a hymn at that time. One of my favorite scenes, we've been talking about the book of Acts in, um, in this Picture This series. And one of my favorite sort of snapshots in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas were imprisoned, right? They'd been sent out to preach the gospel. Uh, sometimes people received them well. Other times they got thrown in jail uh, for, that, for preaching that message. But there's this one moment where they're in jail. It says their hands and their feet were shackled, <clears throat> and they began to sing hymns. And to praise God. And if you know the story, soon after that, a miracle took place. God kind of shook the foundations and their shackles were broken. Um, you know, miracles started to take place. Amazing things started to happen as they were simply singing and praising God. So we sing together as that a corporate act of praise and worship. The other day, it was funny, I was talking with my, my family about corporate worship. And my son was like, we're going to worship corporations? Like, what are you talking about? You know, I was like, well, no, court, like when we're together corporately, maybe communal worship would be a better uh, word for that, right? When we're gathered together to worship, 
in a sense, you know, we always think about ourselves, we live in a very kind of individualistic world, right? We have our own lives, our own world, you know, um, and yet the church, the Bible speaks of the church when we're gathered together as the body of Christ, as one organism, that when we come together, it's like we're many, but we're one. And we come together to worship as that one organism, united together. A Bible term for that would be in one accord, one object, one entity, blessing God, praising God. And we do that together with our voices in song. And I just believe that that is a powerful thing. It's something that uh, when we start to sing, when we start to praise, when we turn our attention to the Lord in song, he begins to move. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. The reality, uh, if we look at it, I, I believe is everybody worships something. It's sort of an inescapable reality of the world that we live in, that everyone is involved in some form of worship. Right? Like we said, worship is giving of value to something, right? giving of worth to something. Everybody has something in their lives that they do that with. People might think, well, I'm not religious. You know, I don't go to church. I don't worship God. But I guarantee you there's something that they give great value, great worth to. It's inescapable in a sense. Some of the most toxic places, you know, that we could in our world, I see people sometimes worshiping politicians, you know, and I don't care what side of the, the aisle you're on as far as what your political views are. When people begin to worship at that altar, ooh, man, it just seems to get really bad really fast. Again, not saying we're not involved in political discourse or any of that, but when that begins to become the greatest worth, the greatest value that we have, it's not good. But I, I, we could say the same thing with celebrities these days, social media influencers. But I think a, a, a lot of times worship, and I can say this in my own life, the battle that I face is worship of ourselves, right? Making me the center of the story, making me the main character. Jesus is there. Sure, yeah, yeah, he's, he's sort of the, the supporting cast, you know? Um, but really, in the end, it's all about me. I think that's sort of the biggest temptation inside and outside the church that we struggle with, especially in our world, that we would worship ourselves. But uh, the reality is we all worship something. And I think this is true as well. We become like that thing that we worship. We become like that which we worship. If we worship a, a particular politician or celebrity or even a pastor, you know, um, we can take we start to take on the characteristics of that person. Right. We begin to see the world as they do. We begin to speak like them. We begin to think like them. We even begin to act like them. So what's going to happen in our hearts? Think about this for a moment. What's going to happen in our hearts when we truly make Jesus the object of our worship? We're going to become more like him, right? Through the power of his spirit that's present among us individually and as we gather corporately, communally to worship, there's going to be a transformation. Worship in itself is a spiritual discipline, right? It's something that we do on a regular basis and we should do on a regular basis because it has a transformative power in our lives to make us more like Christ, to to move us, as Paul says, from glory to glory, to keep moving us on into that image of Christ, into where God wants to lead us. 
Have you guys ever been in a situation that wasn't necessarily a worship service but felt like a worship service? Um, I had an interesting one years ago. <clears throat> I was at a Lakers game, right? And this was in the, the, the season. Like, if you guys are Lakers fans, I know Yee's a big Lakers fan. He's always got his hat on. Uh, after the, the sort of, you know, the... The, the Magic and Kareem era where they won all the championships. But before the Kobe and Shaq era, right, there was kind of a time in there, some, some more lean years for the Lakers. They weren't terrible. Like, they didn't, they didn't, like, get knocked out of the playoffs, you know, or they did not make the playoffs. They were still making the playoffs, but they weren't always great. There wasn't the greatness of the Lakers that we often think about today, right? Um, but I remember I went to this one game, and it was a first-round playoff game, right? So what is there, like four or five, six rounds of playoffs in the NBA? First round playoff game, Lakers versus the Seattle Supersonics. That was back when Sean Kemp and Gary Payton were the, the big stars. So there's a big rivalry between these two teams. And Nick Van Exel, true Lakers fans will remember Nick Van Exel. Point guard, actually a really exciting player to watch. You can YouTube him later on if you want to watch like some of his highlight reels. He hit the game-winning shot that put the Lakers into the next round of the playoffs where I think they got demolished by like the Spurs or something like that. But man, he hit that game-winning shot and for about five minutes, this was at the, the Forum, you know, pre-Staples Center, back when the Lakers played at the Forum, the Forum just erupted, you know? For about five minutes, I mean like, there were some guys who were sitting in front of us, I think I was here with my dad and my brothers, they'd had, quite a few too many beers and were a little bit obnoxious. It didn't matter at that point. I was giving those guys a hug. You know, we were high-fiving each other because our great, you know, heroes, the Lakers, had defeated the evil Supersonics. And we were celebrating our great victory, that we were victorious, that we had won. You know, they played the, I love L.A., you know. Like, if you're at the Lakers game and they win, they often play that. We love it, you know, and everyone's got their hands in the air, you know. And I thought about it later, and I went, there was a little bit of a feel there of worship. And I'm not saying, oh, we were all, you know, bowing down before the Lakers. But it had the feel of this joy, this exuberance, this excitement, this anticipation that good things were happening that we had won the long, you know, hoped-for victory and, and all of that until we got in the parking lot five minutes later and we all hated each other and were honking our horns and <laughs> just wanted to get out of there as fast as we could, right? But there's moments like that, and I, I, I often think back to that or other times like that, and I think, man, I want our worship to go far beyond, <laughs> you know, what happened that day at the Lakers game. You know, and it's not just a matter of, hey, can we manufacture some excitement here, guys? Can we do the right things to get you guys pumped up? Ultimately, that's a work of God. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. You know, as a worship team, being a member of the worship team, we're excited. You know, we spend the week preparing and planning and praying and putting songs together. And we get here early on Sunday and we run through. And now we're going to start practicing Thursday nights. So much goes into that, and we're excited and, and anticipating. But what our hope is, I, I can tell you from, from this side of the stage as we're looking out, is that we'll see people coming in also who are excited and prepared and who have even maybe prayed, you know, Lord, bless our time of worship today. God, move 
and speak and be in our midst in a powerful way as we worship you. We'll talk about that anticipation a little more at the end, but I just want to stick that, that bug in your ear a little bit today about being expectant. Matt Redman, if you ever, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Matt Redman. He's a worship leader, one of the leaders of what I would call like the modern worship movement, right? Uh, going back 30 years or something like that. And he has this great quote, you know, when asked, what is worship all about? You know, what, how would you define it? This was from uh, like a devotional book that he wrote. He says, I think we'll have it on the screen. We are the people of God in the presence of God, pouring out the praises of God. I like that simple definition. The people of God in the presence of God, pouring out the praises of God. You know, if you break that down, we're the people, we're the church, we're the gathered community, the body of Christ coming together in the presence of God. Anytime we gather, the Bible's clear, God's presence is here in our midst. Anytime we gather, God is present among us. I've always been kind of interested in this thought, right? Um, Jesus, before he ascended to the Father, not that long before, he was meeting with his disciples, and it says, you know, he was giving them what we call the Great Commission. It's the end end of Matthew's gospel. And he says to them, you know, lo, I'm going to be with you always, even to the very end of the age. But what happened not long after that? He, he left. And you might have gone, they might have gone, well, you're going to be with us always, but you're actually not here anymore. But what do we see happen? We get to the book of Acts. And not too long after that, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And God's powerful presence came to be among the church. And that's the same today. And I often think about that. It's the same presence of God that we see in the book of Acts, that same spirit that was poured out, you know, that mighty rushing wind, those tongues of fire, these images that we have from Scripture, that same God is alive today and powerful, his presence among us as we worship. And we pour out the praises of God, bringing blessing um, to the name of God, worshiping our God. I believe, you know, worship is a powerful witness to the world around us. When people outside the church who, are, who haven't come to faith see Christians gathered in worship with hands raised, singing, blessing the name of God, they oftentimes, and I've had conversations with people, they don't quite know what to do with that. Like, what is that all about? You know, I mean, there's an image of Christians today that, you know, uh, we go on social media and argue politics or whatever, you know, and there's a lot of ways that, that Christians are perceived in our world. But man, when people catch us in a state of worship and see us living that worship out in our lives, they see the power of the gospel. They see how it's real to us, how it's really and truly transformed our lives. With the people of God and the presence of God pouring out the praises of God. So I want to finish today just giving you guys a, a few things where I believe, a few things that I believe God wants to do in our midst as we gather for our times of, of corporate worship together. In the book of Acts, uh, chapter 13, I'm just going to read a couple of verses from it. It says, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius of Cyrene, 
Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So I want you to just stop for a minute there with me on that, that verse. It says there was this church, right, a, a, a gathering of Christians there in the city of Antioch, and here they kind of list the leaders. But the key is this, while they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit began to speak. In the midst of their praise, in the midst of their, I believe, singing songs, praying, giving glory to God, the Spirit of God said something. How did he do that? My guess is, it just says the Holy Spirit said, but my guess is that he began to speak to people's hearts who were gathered. I'm sure he spoke to Barnabas and Saul, right? The ones who were going to be sent out, but probably to others as well. This very specific word, this prophetic word saying, I want these two men to head out. I want them to go off. And if you know the story of the book of Acts, these two men became missionaries and began to transform the world through the preaching of the gospel. They began to establish churches all over places that had never heard of Jesus, into new realms, you know, going to even new continents to preach the gospel. But how did that work begin? It started with a church that was worshiping God. As simple as that. And God began to speak at that time. See, I believe the early church, when I, I go back and I, I kind of scan through the book of Acts, the early church was always expectant that God was going to do something. They were always expectant that God was going to move in a powerful way when they gathered together to worship him. And so that's one of the two things I want to leave you guys with today. First of all, when you guys come into these walls, when we gather together for worship, let's be expectant that God is going to move, that there's going to be gifts of his spirit poured out, that we're going to see him speak. We're going to hear his voice. He's going to move in our hearts. He's going to tell us things, right? And I don't mean that in a weird kind of cryptic way. Maybe you've had experience in church where that kind of freaked you out a little bit or people said they were doing things, you know, that were spirit-led but made you feel uncomfortable. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how God wants to speak specifically to this church. I believe God knows what we need. He knows the, the strengths and the weaknesses of every heart in this room. And he knows the strengths and the weaknesses of, of us gathered together. He knows what we need to do as we move forward. He knows the plans and the purposes that he has for us. And as we worship, he's going to speak. So I would encourage you guys and challenge you with that. Be expectant when we come together for worship that God is going to move and that he's going to speak. Let there be an open window in your heart when you walk in here on Sunday morning, you know, that, man, I'm excited for this because this is the time when we're going to worship that God is also going to respond to us. And then the last thing I wanted to leave you guys with today um, is that our worship, I believe, should be formative in our lives as well, forming us into something. Like I said, we, we become like that which we worship. It's inevitable. And as we worship Jesus, my hope and prayer is that we are becoming more Christ-like as a church. I just saw a, a meme this morning. I popped Instagram open for just a minute. 
and it had like a, an image of like all these Christians in church, you know, with their hands raised. And it was kind of harsh, I'll be honest, with their hands raised. And at the, you know, the line was 15 minutes before these folks are all going to go yell at a waiter at a 16-year-old waiter at a restaurant or something like that, you know. And I was like, ooh, ouch, that stings, you know. But I've had that experience of like, you know, I'm on the freeway. I like to listen to worship, sing along with worship songs while I'm driving around. You know, I'm, you know, kind of cruising along. I've got one hand on the steering wheel, one hand in the air, you know, worshiping God. And then someone cuts me off and I go immediately from worship to what's wrong with this guy? You're such a jerk. Honk my horn. <laughs> you know, And I realized in that moment, wait a second, something went wrong there. I was in this moment of blessing a good and forgiving and kind and gracious God. And one second later, I'm cursing this guy for not doing exactly what I want him to do and making me, you know, slow down because I was in cruise control or whatever, you know. And I think, man, that, that ought not be. Our worship should be formative in our lives. If we're worshiping Jesus, if the Spirit is moving, he's going to transform our hearts in ways that go beyond the four walls that we have here. We gather to worship so that then we can go out into the world to live lives of worshipers, that people would see that in our hearts, that the, the experiences we have here together would, would, would bleed out into the world around us and not just be contained for 15 minutes or 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. And that we, like Paul said in, in Romans 12, back in that, that verse, right, would lay down our very lives, that, that, that worship would begin every day as we say, God, my life is yours. Everything that I am, my very body, my, even my voice as I sing these songs, this belongs to you. I'm giving it back to you. This is my free will act of worship to you. And as we do that, our worship is forming us into something good. The Spirit of God is moving powerfully. So those are the two things I want to leave you guys with today. Be expectant that God's going to speak, that God's going to move in powerful ways as we worship. And let's let our worship times be formative in our lives, to not just stay here, but to move out into the world. So we're going we're gonna to close with this song right now, Holy Spirit. And really, this song is just a, an invitation to the Spirit of God, right? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place. Fill the atmosphere. It's an invitation to me that, I mean, we know God has been present among us as we've worshiped him. I believe that. I've seen that happening here at Voice, and I get excited when I watch the ways that God has moved at this church already just in the short time I've been involved in the worship team. But I'm praying for that to just continue to extend, extend into new places that we've never been, to lift us up unto places and to, to bring, you know, the miraculous in ways that we haven't even seen. We don't worship God for a miracle to take place, but as we worship him in spirit and in truth, it's amazing what we'll see happen. So let's be expectant. Let's be formed into that Christ-like image that the spirit of God wants to make us into. And let's invite him right now, even in this moment, as we head into this song, uh, to, to be free to move in our hearts as we worship together. So let's say a quick prayer, and then we're going to sing. God, Thank you for your goodness. And we want to be a people who take worship seriously. We want to be a people who gather expectantly. We want to be a people who are formed 
into who you want us to be as we worship you together, God. Jesus, you said you would be with us always. Every moment, every time we're here in this room, you're present and you want to speak and you want to move. So for us, it's often just getting out of the way and not being as self-focused like I tend to be, like we can be at times, God, but focused on you, focused on what you want to do and having that open window in our hearts to receive what you would want to speak to us. So let this be an open place, God, where we can bless you and hear from you. And we want to right now just give that invitation to you as we sing this song together. In Jesus' name, amen. We invite you to stand as we sing this last worship song. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. And I've tasted and seen sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is
Our appreciation for Joe. You know, I, m- I remember, um, and this will make sense. I remember being probably seven, eight years old, and I just could not, I, I-, I did something wrong. I can't remember what it was, but I mean, who knows at that age? It could have been a lot of things. Wasn't exactly a well behaved child. And I remember in the- being in the kitchen. And I was supposed to go into the kitchen and apologize to my mom who was leaning against the counter. And I remember staring at the linoleum. Over here is the hum of our avocado green refrigerator. Uh, it was the 80s. And it was a glorious time. Actually, I think it's coming back. I see it here and over there. So, um, but I was just defiant. And then eventually, because I think I just wanted to go like play with my action figures or something. So I'm like, this gets over with and apologized. And something weird happened when I not only apologized, but I heard myself apologize. I started just, I broke down. Like ugly cry, won the Grammy, like just really letting it all go. And some of you guys, there's something about speaking something. And then there's something even more about hearing yourself speak something. I don't know what it is. And the Bible says, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that there's something that goes, that shifts from your mind to your heart when you speak something and hear yourself speak. And this is why, you know, we, we encourage, when, we, when Eric spoke about uh, scripture, to speak scripture out, right? So the reason why I say that is some of us are like, yeah, great, Joe, I hear you talking about worship. Never been life-changing for me. I see people raising their hands and they are in and here I am just kind of like arms are... You know, your hands kind of never leave your pocket, and it's like nothing against that. It's not like Jesus, you know, maybe he had pockets. Uh, but it's not like Jesus said, you know, worship God, you know, with, uh, you know, don't keep your hands in your pockets. But I'll tell you what, maybe you haven't experienced the presence of God during worship because you're not a part of it. You're not singing. You're not putting words to it, and you're not hearing yourself do it. So here's what I would challenge you to do. If you're like really insecure about your voice and, you know, maybe you should be. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know the Lord loves my voice. Maybe no one else does, but the Lord does. Here's what I challenge you to do. Here's my dare, okay? Go in your car or in some sound isolated chamber and sometime this week, play a song, a song that you like, a worship song, right? It could be one that we sing on Sunday mornings. And if you need help putting a playlist together, I will gladly send you a list. I know a lot of the guys on the team would love to send you a list. Here's what I challenge you to do. Play the worship song and sing out loud. And no one else can hear you. Maybe it's in your car. Maybe instead of listening to whatever playlist you normally listen to while you're stuck on the five, that you do this. There's something interesting that scripture says. It says that God inhabits the praise of his people. I can't explain it. I don't understand how an omnipresent God can be more present when we're worshiping. But I know it's true. And I know that when I am stressed out or I'm anxious or I'm insecure or I'm feeling down or whatever, there's something that shifts in the atmosphere. When I play a worship song loud so I can covers up my voice and then I sing along with it, not from here, but from here. As I'm sitting in my car, 
as I'm sitting in my room, when everyone's gone maybe out of the house and I'm walking around singing worship in my house, something shifts and I can't explain it, but I think the Bible is true and the presence of God is there. So that's my challenge to you. That's my challenge to you. I don't know, I can't explain it, but something shifts. And so that's my double dog dare for you this week, all right? Um, couple things as we leave. Uh, again, if you want to get more connected, if you want to join a small group, or maybe you ha- you're newer to the church, or you want to you want to grab coffee, you want to grab lunch, you have questions about what we believe, or what do you want to do in the community, reach out. I'd love to take you out for coffee, uh, or lunch, or whatever, and get to know you more, and learn your story, and answer any questions uh, that you have. But man, I cannot tell you how important it is to do what Joe did t- talked about today. That God didn't, you know, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you can go to church. Jesus died on the cross so he could warm a chair for an hour once a week. It's more than that. We're called to be on an adventure with God. We don't follow doctrine. We follow a living God. So I challenge you to do that. Um, one of the last things we do when we gather is we take a free will offering. If you want to be a part of that, uh, we have dreams. A lot of us have dreams about what we want to see God do through this church. And if you want to help be a part of that, if you want to accelerate that dream, uh, man, there's all sorts of ways to give. You can text in. You can do an offering envelope, you can give online, but man, challenge you to pray about being a part of that. One of the things we do every time we before we leave is we pray, and we don't pray because it's religious, we pray because we believe God hears it, and what we believe is that there's power in the church gathered on a Sunday morning, but there's more power in the church scattered throughout the week, that God wants to use you this week in ways that he can never use me to impact people that he can never use me to impact because they don't know me. They know you. And so with that, uh, if you want to put your arms out, if it's not too weird or uncomfortable for you, we're going to pray that God sends us out this week. We're going to pray that God speaks with each of you this week and speaks through you this week. All right, let's pray that. God, we just, we believe you hear us right now. God, I pray for some of us whose maybe relationship with you has gotten kind of dusty. It's gotten kind of stale, emotionless maybe a little apathetic. Maybe some of us are in a place where we don't care, to be honest, but we want to want to care. God, would you help us with that? Would you bring fresh life into our relationship with you again, God? For some of us, for the first time, would you draw us closer to you, God? I pray that that those that call Voice Church home would take us up on this, on this challenge to create some time to worship to worship, not just sing songs, but to worship. And God, would your presence be there? Would it shape our hearts? Would it form us? God, we love you, God. And we pray the same thing we pray every week, and I pray it doesn't become just rote and ritual, but God, would you speak with each of us this week? We desperately need a word from you, God. Would you speak with each of us this week? Would you speak through each of us in huge ways? Would you make a difference through us, God? And would you speak through us as a church? Would you breathe your hope and your joy and your peace to all sorts of people in Orange County who desperately need your hope? Would you speak through us as a church family to bring them your hope, not our hope, but yours, God? Give us the words to speak. Give us the humility to listen. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're officially dismissed. If you need to stay back and pray or ask questions, we're here for you. But you are officially dismissed. We'll see you guys next week.